Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you you've left, not left us wandering around in the dark. Your word, Lord, is true for all age. Lord, it is bound and based on who you are, your perfect knowledge of us. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we do pray, Lord, that as we consider thy word, not only will we, we listen to it, but it will affect our minds and change our our walk, Lord, that we will come if we are unbelievers for salvation, and if we are believers, Lord, that we will leave this place resolved uh, through thy Holy Spirit to walk closer to thee. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could have in front of you um, the verses that we read from chapter 20, if I was to give a title of... Um, of this message this evening, it would be God's kingdom of grace. Teddy Roosevelt, uh, president of the USA at the turn of last century, and perhaps more famous as having given his name to Teddy Bear, Teddy Bear, uh, was quoted as saying that comparison robs our soul of its joy. And there's an element of truth in that. A feature of the world that we, we live in is that we are people who are given to comparing our lot, our lot, with that of others. And often that results in envy or jealousy. I mean, it goes right back, really, from, um, from the beginning. You see or you hear parents with their with their little babies and their little loved ones and toddlers, and they're saying, um, uh, my little boy, he took his first steps yesterday. No one says, oh, no, ours, ours can walk all the way down the hall. Oh, oh, ours can run. And then before you know it, they're entering into Liverpool Harriers for the latest race. They can compare. Carries on, doesn't it, when we're at school? We want to be top. We want to do well. In school, my friend um, was up last week and he reminded me of a teacher that we had who tried to deal with that. By when we used to have to queue to to go out for uh, dinner time, she used to make us queue, and then the person at the back of the queue used to go first. And then we thought, caught on to that one. I'll join the back of the queue next time, and she took it from the middle. So we hadn't got a clue what she was doing and it, she taught us really that we shouldn't be competing and comparing ourselves with others but we should be helping one another and uh, more organised as a result. It goes up, doesn't it, into social media. We, we hear about people going into um, depression when they're picked on in social media or if their post doesn't get many likes and other people's do. It goes on into exams and jobs. How well did your child get on their exam? Did they get to university? What job are they doing? Have they got a job? It goes on in of, of comparison into every aspect of our lives. I often think this when we get... Do you ever get these Christmas letters? You know, they send them out to all their friends. I can't stand them. <laughs> you know, you, I get one, and, you know, if, they're, if they're, their offspring hasn't um, 
done three degrees in the last year, climbed Everest five times on stilts. <laughs> and I look and I think, oh, comparing. But that comparison is something that is in human nature. Right through from the beginning of Cain and Abel, where Cain was upset that his, his sacrifice was not rejected and a, his brother's Abel was acceptable. Look at the bad feeling and difficulties that between Leah and Rachel as they, they compared their lot with each other. Look at the brothers with Joseph and ultimately them casting him into a pit. And then going even more through the Bible to the disciples arguing and comparing each other about who was the greatest. Let's just turn briefly to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. I'll just read this particular verse. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Paul writes, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So it was an issue in the Corinthian church. And there's no way you win in God's eyes when you compare. You compare yourself to people and you, care, and you come out of it well. It just makes you proud, doesn't it? It just makes you a bit gloating and sinning before God. Or you compare yourself to others and they seem up there somewhere and you're down here. And it makes you feel down and depressed or guilty. So there's no winners from it. But let's have a look then at this, this parable. Just a, a brief explanation, really. Um, basically, a landowner needed somebody to uh, tend his, his vineyard. And so he went out looking for people to help work on it. Um, one commentator says that he, well, he went out about six in the morning, then he went out at three hourly intervals around uh, the streets to see if there were people, as it says in the Bible, idle and doing nothing, and asking them into work, to work in his vineyard. So six o'clock, nine o'clock, twelve, three, right through to five o'clock, and the shift finished at six o'clock. So some had been there for the whole 12 hours. Some had, hadn't come in to, uh, except to do the last hour. And pay time arrives, money time, and they all, uh, they're all there, but they all get the same pay. And you have to feel a bit for the first lot, as, as they say in the, uh, in the verses that we read. You know, we've been there all day. We've uh, worked for, for 12 hours in the heat of the sun, and we just get one denarius. A few of them roll up at five o'clock, do an hour, and they get the same. It does seem a bit un, unfair. Of course, you know, you, you, uh, you wouldn't be advocating as an employer that that's how you treat your staff. I don't think you'd see that in ACAS guidelines for good employment relations. But of course, the focus of this parable um, is on 
how the kingdom of God operates. And the kingdom of God operates very differently from the kingdom of this world. Well, indeed, in the kingdom of this world, um, some of the books of the Bible, particularly Proverbs, does talk about working hard um, and covers that. But this parable is concerning the kingdom of God. And this evening, I thought we would just look at, uh, divide this, uh, these verses into three. First of all, we're going to look, as we just said, that certain aspects of God's kingdom we're then going to look at the attributes of the kingdom of this, this world. And then, lastly, we're going to look at what is the antidote for God's people who are affected by the attributes of the kingdom of this world, but are in God's kingdom. So let's first of all look then at the aspects of God's kingdom. The main point of the parable and the principle of God's grace that comes out in this parable is getting what we don't deserve. And this is what this parable is about. It, 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 it operates, as we look at it, perhaps on, on, on two levels. First of all, in the, in the sort of history of, of redemption, the Jews had been God's people for a very long time. And they were seeing Gentiles being converted, Gentiles coming in. And they had a feeling of, of unfairness, at, at least. Not just from the Sadducees and the Pharisees and unconverted Jews, but, but even for those who were converted later on um, in, in the Christian church, there was a bit of division um, about the Gentiles just coming in um, into the, the Christian church. Because this picture of a vineyard um, throughout um, God's word has this picture of, of God's kingdom in the Old Testament. So it, it operated on that level that, um, that the Jews who felt like they'd be the ones who had been working for hours, they'd been God's kingdom for a long time, had that, that annoyance um, and dissatisfaction, anger and frustration as they saw people coming in uh, Gentiles had coming in very late in the day and were getting the same privileges as, as they had got or believed that they had got. But it also operates, I suppose, on a, on a personal level. And this parable talks about, in God's kingdom, that God's grace extends to 11th hour converts as much to those who have become Christians very early on in life and have served God for many years. Look at the dying thief who was welcomed into paradise in the last throes of his life on earth. And look at, in comparison, Timothy, who, as we were looking at this morning, was, was uh, converted at a very young age. But they're all members of God's kingdom of free grace. And, and when you think about it, this was the difficulty that, um, that Jonah had, wasn't it, with, with Nineveh. You know, he, um, he was asked to preach the, the message to Nineveh and perhaps he believed that they would turn. They were saying, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve to be part of God's people. They've been a wicked nation. Um, they've worshipped false gods. They've done all manner of evil and they're rep repenting and they're having the same uh, privileges 
as we are. But what the listeners of this parable uh, forgot about, what Jonah would have forgot about, what the, the, Jews, the Jews who felt like that did not understand, was the greatness of God's grace. That none of us deserve God's gift of salvation wrought at the cost of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. If we look to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 23, very, very familiar verses, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, it reads, Through the, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The main point of this parable and the whole underlying principle of God's mercy and God's grace is that those who are sitting here this evening and who are believers who are in God's kingdom, we're getting what we don't deserve. We do not deserve our salvation. And it's all done to the goodness and love of our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ at such great cost for us. None of us deserve to be in God's vineyard. They didn't seem to understand that in this parable that they, and from this parable. So, God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace. Let's move on to our, our second point, and that is that the kingdom of this world is one of comparison and envy. Now, against the beauty of God's grace, that he should um, cause sinners such as us to be saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the darkness of the spirit of this world as represented in this parable. Verses 11 and 12, we have it there, don't we? When it, when it was time to get the money and when they'd received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. They complained because they felt they'd been treated unfairly. Now, when you read this a little bit more closely, they weren't... They weren't unhappy with the original offer, were they? Um, verse 13, it goes on to say, but he answered one of them and said, friend, I'm, a, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Because it says earlier that, um, that, that they, they agreed with the labourers, verse 2, for a denarius a day. They were, they were quite happy. They were quite happy, weren't they, to receive a denarius a day and it wasn't the original offer that they were unhappy about but what they were unhappy about was that the people who'd come late on in the day done less work obviously got exactly the same and isn't that sum up sort of human nature it's like um, right from when we're children you know we go to a party and they're dishing out the birthday cake. And you get a piece, you think, oh, that looks all right, isn't it? And then you look round, 
and you're comparing the size with that, and it's bigger than them. And then all of a sudden, you're happy with it, and now you're not, because you see somebody else has got bigger. And it, it made me think of um, a, a classic story from um, the old variety um, of Hilda Baker. Does anyone ever remember Hilda Baker? Yeah, Hilda Baker. Now, Hilda Baker was very much into comparing. If she thought that somebody got more laughs than her, she'd be upset and cry for a week. Anyway, she was appearing at Scunthorpe, and um, when she was arrived there, they were putting out the poster, you know, uh, whatever, it was a pantomime or something, Widow Twanky or Aladdin or something, and it said, starring, and then they were just doing the half bit, and it said, starring Hilda Baker. And it was in massive print, bigger than the name of the pantomime, bigger than the name of the place. She looked at that and she thought, that's fantastic. Great, that. Anyway, she went into the, into the uh, auditorium and she had to come out just to go for a little walk. And they were putting up the second part half of it. And she used to be with Jimmy Jewell. Do you remember Jimmy Jewell? And she saw Jimmy Jewell and she looked at it, she thought. And then she went back into the auditorium she got a ladder and a tape measure and she measured how big Hilda Baker was in writing, measured how big Jimmy Jewell was in writing and found out it was one and a half inches bigger. And so she stormed in and demanded they took it off. She was quite happy, her name being in such big... But when she saw that her co-star had it even bigger, she was dissatisfied. And that's what we've got here. That's what caused them to be dissatisfied when they weren't before. And that spirit of the age afflicts us, doesn't it? We can turn round and we can compare and we think, there's people in the such and such in the church, they seem to have more gifts than I do. You know, they seem to be able to, to do a lot more in the church. Or they seem to have more money than I do. And the clothes they've got, they're fantastic. I haven't got any clothes like that. And you start getting miserable. There's nothing wrong with this, but it's not as good as somebody else's. And they've got a bigger house. Dear me. And you start comparing. And they've got more friends. Real friends, not just friends on Facebook. Real friends, people you see. And they look better. Look smarter get more attention and you know he, God, he's got a good husband he's got a better husband than I've got or a better wife than I've got or he's even got one and I've even got one and we start comparing don't we and we get that sense of dissatisfaction and this is what is being covered here the spirit of the world where does it come from well it comes from sin clearly we go right back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Just read that well-known well um, passage, but it, it bears reading to, on this point. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, introducing the spirit of the world, doesn't he? Which the Lord God has made, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree, fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, 
You will surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The spirit of this world does not see God as he really is. Doesn't see the God that we've been describing of great grace, great love and mercy. But it makes people see or people start to see, they think that God is not generous. They think he's not reliable. Like the Satan tempted Eve. That he wants to withhold good things from us. That he's, he's like, that God's like a, a tough examiner. You've got to go through every hoop in order to, to get his goodness. If you make a mistake or if you do something wrong, perhaps a bit like a magnified road speed camera waiting for you to trip up and for something to happen to you and consequently then you're unhappy when you feel that in life you've missed out and others have not or you get annoyed and angry when things are not going the way you feel they should in your life or perhaps you get annoyed and angry when others appear to have more than you and this starts becoming part of your nature and should have no part of the nature of those who are in the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of this world is one of comparison and envy. But let's finish finally by looking at what's the antidote to this for us as, as Christians. Perhaps those before we go on to that, perhaps there are those who are here this evening who are not in the kingdom of God and that those attitudes are, are prevalent and don't really upset you that much because you think well everybody does it you must flee to the God of salvation you must turn from your sin and throw yourself upon his marvellous grace that rewards us with his kingdom and his eternal heaven forever. But let's, how can we replace then, if we, if we are believers this evening, with this ungenerous spirit, with the spirit of God's grace? Well, quite simply, immersing ourselves in God's marvellous blessings and his marvellous love and grace and remember if God had treated those people by what they deserved they wouldn't have even been allowed into the vineyard which as I said represented the kingdom of God they would have remained in their state of of being idle of having no hope and going to a lost eternity they'd forgotten that they would have initially would have been very pleased to have seen, to have been in the vineyard and to have been given that work. They were doing nothing. They had no right to that, that job. But then when they were in it, they started becoming envious and jealous. So it was God's mercy then to sinners that they were admitted to that vineyard. And as I said, that represents God's kingdom. They should have been delighted in that and grateful for spending their time there 
And as we consider them, we consider us, that we do not deserve to be in God's kingdom. We've done nothing. God has saved us out of the goodness of our hearts. God has given us what we don't deserve. We are his treasured possession. We only deserve God's judgment. When I uh, first went to um, senior school, um, it, was, um, it was run by the, the Vincentian fathers. That's not in, in any importance. But the, the head teacher, who was, um, he used to say to us um, at assembly, without fail, you are privileged to be at this school. So if anybody moaned or anybody complained, his stock answer was, you should be privileged to be into this school. I can't say for every day that I was at that school that I felt privileged being there. But sometimes, you know, in our Christian life, we we, we go through days where we forget what blessings we have in Christ, what hope we have in God. What changed lives he has given us. And we take it for granted and we allow the spirit of the world to, to seep in to our Christian lives, into our churches, into our families. God has given us what we don't deserve. What's the antidote? Well, the more we bathe ourselves in God's love, and grace, the more we'll love the brethren, the less we will compare, we'll envy, the more we'll rejoice over people and the blessings that they receive, the more we'll re rejoice over people, whatever their age, becoming believers, however late the hour. And just before I finish, I looked at the, the verses in Genesis chapter 3. Because you see, the original sin, the first sin, affected man's relationship with God. And it wasn't long before the result was not just how our relationship with God was affected, but also our relationship with one another. And it very quickly, through Cain and Abel, ended up in murder. With its anger and dissension and jealousy and envy. So the answer isn't, I'm not going to be like that. You know, I'm not going to feel that way towards these people, etc. I'm really going to try and change. We're doing it from the wrong way. We need to get our relationship right with our God. We need to spend time considering his mercy, his great love, his concern for us, our salvation. And as we th think, we'll be bathed in his great grace. We'll understand what it means to be in the kingdom. We will be so indebted to what we are to what God's given, it wouldn't mean anything what's, um, what, what's happening to other people. We'll be so gracious and that 
need to compare with its envy or its jealousy. We'll just gradually have less and less hold on our lives. If God's kingdom is not your kingdom, as I said, repent and believe. But let's just bathe. Let's just resolve through thy Holy Spirit. He will every, every day. It's not just as Amon was talking about when you, you make a resolution to do something, you do it enthusiastically for one or two days. But we ask through the power of the Holy Spirit that it will be a regular thing, that each day we'll wake up and we'll thank God for our salvation. Thank God for his love for us. Pray to God that what we know of God's love will be evidence in the life of other believers and will come to those who repent and believe and come into God's kingdom.